Hey everybody and welcome back to Traffic Jam. It's Isabel and as always I'm here with Georgia. Hey everyone, we are kicking off the new year with a very special episode. We are doing our first ever interview and we are so excited for all of you to meet Solvega Jaskunas. Did I say that right? Perfect. Okay. Solvega is from Lithuania and has extensive experience in working with human resources and mentorship. We cannot wait for all of you to get to hear about her work. Uh, Solvega is a seasoned HR professional, a career coach and mentor with over 14 years of experience in nonprofit and for-profit organizations. She holds dual master's degrees in industrial psychology and human resource management, as well as PHR and SHRMCP certifications. As an immigrant to the United States, she overcame language barriers and numerous rejections before climbing the HR ladder to senior leadership. As an organizational consultant, Solvega wants to help employers create more inclusive workplaces by offering on-site and virtual training sessions focused on the unique challenges faced by the international workforce and to bring an outsider's perspective to organizations. She helps professionals at all stages of their careers land dream jobs and navigate workplace challenges. She has mentored people from all walks of life, including professionals from around the world, refugees, homeless children, and at-risk youth. Her passion lies in helping immigrants thrive professionally in the United States and in working with employers to make their workplace culture more inclusive. With all that being said, let's welcome Solvega to the show. Oh, thank you so much for inviting. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Um, I have to say, and I know we talked about this uh, when you and I first met, but I was so excited to hear your name because it's Norwegian uh, and my mom is from Norway and I spent, you know, part of my life growing up over there. So that was so exciting to see. Yeah, and uh, I've been in Norway. It's one of the most beautiful countries. Um, I, I truly loved. And yes, my name is Norwegian and it means soul, sun and lake means path. And in some ways, I believe it represents who I am because I like to bring shine and light to other people's path. No, I think that's that's so pretty. I love that. Um, so we have um, some really great questions uh, for Solvega today um, for her to be able to talk about her experiences. And the first question uh, that I wanted to go ahead and ask is, you know, if you can talk a little bit about uh, what inspired you to work with homeless youth in Lithuania and why you chose to study trauma in children. I know that was a lot of your research um, that you had done uh, for your undergraduate, I believe. Um, what was homelessness like in Lithuania when you were uh, studying there? So let me start from the last question because I, I went to a little tell about the time I went to school. And yes, my first degree was in psychology. And it was a very exciting time to be in Lithuania because the Soviet Union just collapsed. We announced independence. And it was exciting to be in time when we feel that we are creating the future for our country. And we as a students, we are a future. <laughs> and uh, yet also economy collapsed. And suddenly we start seeing uh, homeless people on the street and including homeless children that we haven't seen before. 
And so I decided to do my research of homeless kids because at that time was no research done in Lithuania of homeless kids because it was completely new. <laughs> we didn't have that problem before. Uh, however, uh, when I went to the center uh, that works of a, it was a temporary uh, shelter for homeless kids. The director told me that my research is likely to fail. And she asked, she told me that it might be better for me to, to change my direction of the research because the kids are very complicated and they are not likely to participate in the research. And at the time, I also suggested how, like, if I can come as a volunteer and get to know the kids. And I told that when the kids will get to know me, then probably we will agree. And she told me that, yes, we need volunteers and I'm more than welcome to stay. And this is when I started... Uh, volunteering about like five hours per week, five, six hours per week. Uh, and then I got to know the kids very well. So the research is a little like more personal for me because uh, I got to know them and they got to know me and they were like really comfortable. And it was nice that every single child agreed to participate and they, they, it was I was not a stranger for them. So I think that in that way, my research is a little different and why trauma, I think everybody who works with homeless kids will know that trauma is part of your life. You know, it's one of the most vulnerable populations uh, and they uh, get abandoned by people who they rely the most their parents. And sometimes they experience multiple traumas. And I chose uh, to study a very specific area of trauma, how kids perceive environment and themselves and how it affects uh, if they seek the relationship or the, the avoid relationships. Wow. So can you talk a little bit about what your actual research entailed? Sure. So I mentioned a little about it. Uh, so I chose two different groups. One of a group was homeless kids. Other group was kids from regular school. And I chose a test that used usually for clinical diagnosis, systematic perception test, where you give uh, pictures for the kids and the kids tell the stories based on those pictures. But uh, the stories, uh, usually when people tell the stories, they reflect themselves in those stories. And uh, I would like you know to give you a few examples from the kids uh, I heard. Because uh, uh, if you know kids from a uh, regular schools will never tell the stories like that. And then like I did analysis of stories from homeless kids and compared to the stories of a regular school kids. So the example will be um, as a kid who is getting lost in, in the town and trying to find his mom and ask for the help of every single stranger, but no, nobody pays attention to that child. Or a, a girl uh, who getting beat up uh, by her dad so badly that uh, she cannot get up and she uh, all in blood. And when she gets up the next morning, she leaves her house and never comes back. Or the child uh, comes back home and uh, all the furniture and all the things are gone, except there is a table. And on the table, there is a note from her parents. And the note tells that the parents are gone, but they will be back soon. And the child thinks um, the sooner they, he will find a home where he can find a place to eat, place to sleep, and somebody who will care for him. 
or a child who goes up a rope and he's very scared to get down because it's dark uh, and the stairs are very steep, but uh, mom is dead and the father is smoking. So those stories, I think, you know, and, you know, if you, you know, even now, like reading them, it became quite emotional for me because I remembered those kids. Uh, and knowing now my kids and, you know, we are friends, I know that we will never tell the stories like that because it really shows the painful experience the kids all, all want. And uh, from the stories, uh, you can see that environment they perceive as dominant, aggressive, uh, ignoring of a child's needs leaving the child behind, emotionally distanced, and not available to care for them. And the kids, they perceive in many of those stories, and I just gave a few examples, but they perceive themselves also like emotionally like distance. They feel very lonely. They uh, feel um, sometimes aggression towards environment, or, or they feel self-destruction or suicidal thoughts. They are uh, trying to find solution on them on their own because uh, nobody else to help them. And they expect more like negative outcomes of a relationship than help. So because of that, they, uh, the way we perceive environment and we perceive themselves because of the experiences we had, we tend uh, to avoid close relationship and we see that we can cause more pain than positive outcome. So I think that the little gives a summary an idea. And in some ways, yes, those stories um, told probably more than if you did a questionnaire. Those stories are absolutely heartbreaking. Do you want to add on um, some of the other things you have learned from working with these children? Yeah, so I also like, you know, got to know them very well. And yes, sometimes it was difficult to see that they will even run away home to see their parents and they come back and they will be like, but they still long to see their parents. And what I've learned from the kids, uh, they really changed my world. I've learned from them more probably that they learned from me. And I saw the value of seeing the world from a different perspective. I also consider them being one of my first and best mentors because they were very honest. If they like something, they will. They might not tell you, but if they didn't like, they will tell you. And then it's very good. You can learn from that. Uh, also, uh, I got the biggest gift of trust for the work I've done uh, because it was nice that every child agreed to participate. And in some ways, I think those pictures and being comfortable allowed them to share some experiences that they wouldn't share otherwise. And especially, you know, one uh, child's story, I um, I will never forget uh, because uh, he told um, about experience um, experiencing the death and seeing the death of his best friend of overdose. And uh, he told me that uh, he never told that story of anybody for seven years. It happened when he was five. And he told me a story when he was 12. And for me, it was horrifying not only the experience he went at the age of five, but that he called that and he didn't have anybody to share that experience. And the fact that, you know, uh, he shared with me was, you know, was rewarding and difficult for me, but I knew that it helps him. Of course. I'm curious to know, 
um, about how long did it take to build uh, that kind of trust with those uh, children? And you said you volunteered there um, initially to help gain that trust. How long until they started opening up to you? So um, I've been there for a year and going there like for like, you know, once or twice a week. Uh, I think, you know, the kids really... Um, I, I don't know how to say, but we really feel if somebody cares for them and we appreciate that. And I believe also those pictures and being in that time that we just telling the stories, it helped them, you know, to tell the stories. Probably if I just asked them, you know, what we experienced, they didn't. But because it was, you know, in the environment that is safe and interested, it somehow helped them. I also saw those kids inspired me so much. I saw that the right mentoring, they can achieve so much because uh, in some ways I saw that we could be the best entrepreneurs because at the age of five, four, six, seven, we already knew how to make money, not only for themselves, but for their families. We knew how to adjust in very difficult environment we knew how, like, even if we fail, we can get up and we still uh, find a way to to get up and do uh, try again. We also, we were very creative, very, very creative. And we had a very strong, some of them, we were strong leaders and have a very strong persuasive powers. And I believe we had a lot of qualities that could be very needed to be successful in life. Um, and of course, I also saw the value of educators and the difference we can make in the kids' lives. That is, that's so powerful. And, you know, like you mentioned earlier too, uh, in Lithuania at this time, people weren't really studying trauma in children. Uh, so I'm also curious to know, you know, once you had done your research, what did uh, your professor say? Uh, you know, she had originally said, you know, the project's going to fail. They're never going to open up to you. Um, what did she say after uh, you had uh, so much success with this project? So my my professor, like at university, she encouraged, you know, the, the director at the center, you know, she was concerned. And I saw, you know, why? Because, yes, at the beginning, the kids, you know, we are like, we try to keep this distance because we have a lot of people who just come be like, you know, one time or twice, and then we don't ever want to come. Uh, so uh, I I think she had a very normal concern, and yes, my paper got evaluated very well. I got um, ten, you know, was the high, the highest mark. Um, and um, yeah, everybody liked it because it was more detailed and really showed the experiences of the kids. Uh, yes, I um, asked to do the survey, but the quality of analysis was more interesting. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, thank you for sharing um, about your research. That's very impactful, very powerful, um, and a very important topic to you know explore how trauma impacts one of our most vulnerable populations, um, children and at-that homeless children. Um, I wanna go ahead and uh, switch gears a little bit uh, because so you moved to the US and have extensive work experience in human resources. So a couple questions. What was your work experience entering the job force in America? And what challenges did you face in terms of your career and professional life? And what did you learn from all of that? 
yeah, like I, um, when I came to the United States, it, it took me a long time to find my first job in, in human resources, almost three years. And I had a lot of interviews that sometimes ended after the first question. And a lot, there are a lot of times that voicemails will never got returned. Um, or like you can see that people stop being interested in you after the first you know, few sentences because at the time my English was not good. And everybody in my family, friends told me that I should do something else. Where English might be not as important as human resources. They told me that maybe I should look into finance or international development where my language skills might be beneficial. However, I felt passionate about the field. I already had invested six years of my education. My, my undergraduate was in psychology, but my master degree was in industrial psychology, more like organizational development here. And uh, I decided to pursue my dream and I understood that the only way I could compete is to become more knowledgeable. And so that's why I got the second degree in human resources. Um, I took English classes. I joined Toastmasters Club. Um, I took every opportunity to learn. Uh, and uh, then little by little, I was able to establish myself as a professional. I still uh, feel very grateful for my first manager who not only hired me, but truly trained me and mentored was uh, completely amazing uh, and I'm always will be grateful for him but that experience really helped me a lot because I became stronger professional because I took every opportunity to learn I became uh, more resilient myself um, and then I could help better others in the interviews as well and for, for sure I became more sensitive to others and that led to mentoring That's awesome. Um, did you have to tell yourself, just keep going? Each no is maybe closer to a yes. Like, how did you keep yourself motivated after getting rejected or not hearing back from voicemails? Uh, was many days that sometimes I was thinking maybe I should do something else. It, it happened, but sometimes those bad interviewing experience actually motivated me because I I thought I could do a better job. Even if I my English is not perfect, but I, I can do a better job in interviewing. Um, and also, as I said, I didn't want it to switch the fields. Um, I thought I, I can do better building up the knowledge. And now, like I see uh, that, yes, English is important in human resources, but not any more important than any other professional fields. There are other qualities that equally as important. And I think what it helped me at what point I just decided that I want, probably I will not get a job, but I wanted to get better in the interviews. And then I start competing more of myself. Like every time I will go and I'll try to do something better. And then I got better in the interviews um, and I started doing, um, getting, you know, then first interviews or second interviews as well. Changing my mindset was helpful as well. And now you are actually a mentor and a career coach for people who are seeking jobs. So how did you get involved in mentorship and what was your motivation there? So when I started interviewing other people, I've noticed that a lot of candidates, especially other immigrants, they make the same mistakes as I do. 
we uh, truly undersell themselves. They don't show their values. They think that the experience in other countries is somehow not relevant. We don't provide specific examples. We talk, you know, too much or too little. And I thought that I can help them in the interviews. And I thought like I would really feel good if I will help at least one person to find their first professional job. And that's why like I uh, went back to my previous employer once we worked with immigrants and I asked if I can come and, and be the, a mentor for the students. And they agreed. Uh, and then I started mentoring students on individual basis, on a short-term basis, on long-term basis. And yes, I at the beginning, if I thought I can help later, when you see that you can help, it feels really amazing. Because I, I saw some great stories, success stories. I saw the students getting accepted to the top schools. Uh, like Georgetown, George Washington, Harvard University. They got uh, first jobs, they got second jobs. We start mentoring others. And when you get, when it's nice to achieve your own success, but when somebody calls and thanks you, it's really rewarding. And uh, I think everybody who mentors others, we can also tell that how much we learn themselves. <laughs> Every time I help others, I was learning together. And sometimes I was learning more about myself and especially some mentoring relationship now lasts for a long time. Like my first mentee, uh, I got to know her eight years ago. And now like, I'm not sure who's helping who more. We're really helping each other in our professional journeys. That is such a you know cool experience, especially now that you have somebody where you, know, you mentored and now, you know, she's comfortable enough to where you guys can provide advice to each other. Um, so that's amazing. Uh, how has your job search and HR experience helped you to mentor uh, other immigrants? Because I know, I know you work with everybody, uh, but you have that passion to help other uh, immigrants to the U.S. So there are a few things. First, like, you know, going for the job search myself, it was a good school. I, I don't think I can go get that experience at any university, any class, because when you fail and you try to do something different, so you, you experiment different techniques yourself. Secondly, I interviewed a lot of candidates. Now I have about 14 years of experience interviewing others, and I work for different organizations of different leaders, and I can see what they're looking for. And, and then first, like, you know, I help others. And then every time we help, you can help better. I think also, like, what it makes different for me working with other immigrants, if the same message comes from somebody who's native speaker, it doesn't mean the same. <laughs> and when sometimes, you know, it comes from you and say, look, I my English was even worse. I've done this and it helped me. Uh, I I, what I see that a lot of people say that I bring hope to them because when they see that somebody else succeed and they advise you, they somehow trust that they can succeed as well. And I also, um, I'm someone, I think because of my job search, I understand uh, how difficult emotionally is and I truly care for people's success. So I get involved, you know, so much in their success. I forward their resumes. I provide their resumes. I I help them to prepare for the interviews. 
And for me, it's very important uh, to, if I see even one thing that we can improve, I will tell them. Mm. I think in America, many people say it's a good job, it's a good job. And then people go to the interview and they don't get a job. And for me, like, it's very important. It's better that they will get a feedback from me versus we don't get a, a position. So I truly like uh, to help them and provide very honest feedback. Yes, we definitely do have that trend here. And I don't know if it's some kind of like saving face type of concept or we just don't, you know, put in that extra effort to provide valuable feedback. Um, but like you said, it's better to hear the truth uh, because that's what brings you closer to success. And sometimes it's hard to give that like honest feedback because uh, you never know how the other person's going to take it. But that's definitely in the long run, so much more helpful. Um. Can you talk a little bit about the term immigrant? I know some people avoid that term, but you've really embraced it. Yes, uh, an interesting question. Um, I, it's, and it's interesting because uh, I never was asked, why do I call myself an immigrant in a private conversations? And then suddenly when I got on the podcast and I started talking about my experience as an immigrant, people start asking me, why do I call myself an immigrant? And I was completely shocked. <laughs> I said, like, so how do I call myself? You know, I'm an immigrant. And then they say, you don't fit an American image of an immigrant. And I said, what, what is American Im <laughs> immigrant? Because, you know, for me, you know, immigrant is an immigrant. And they said, well, an immigrant, the ones who are crossing Mexico border. And I said, well, I crossed a different border. And so what? I am still an immigrant. Or some people say, um, why uh, you are like now a director, you you have a consultant, why do you call yourself still an immigrant? And I said, well, I haven't been in that role for all my life. You know, I started at very beginning role. My first job paid $7.50 per hour. And at that time I was an immigrant. And now just because I have a different role when I'm not an immigrant anymore. So for me, uh, it was interesting because some people say, Oh, but Americans do not call themselves immigrants in Lithuania. We call themselves expatriates. And I say, well, my experience was not as expatriate. It was very challenging and difficult. And and I altogether, I'm not, I see a word immigrant as an experience um, that anybody can go through. And every time you move to a new culture, you have to adjust. It can be very difficult. You have to change your own mindset. You, you, you leave everything you left behind. And yet is also the experience that I've learned the most. I became, as I said, more resilient. Um, I can help others better because I went through a similar experience as I, they went. Um, I understand about trauma better. I understand more about change better. I understand what it takes you know, to rebuild your own confidence. And yes, I, I actually am proud to be an immigrant because uh, it bring me more depth in my life and more expertise and let me to help others better. And I value that experience and I know my value and I'm proud to be who I am and proud to be an immigrant. I think it's great that you embrace it and I could feel how proud you are to be an immigrant. Can you please tell us about your vision to make a difference in an immigrant community at an organizational level? 
For sure. So I helped a lot of immigrants on an individual basis, but I also see that the change needed on organizational level because there are a lot of stereotypes against immigrants. And there are a lot of, yeah, people say, oh, it's nice, you know, or they say, oh, it's so powerful, you succeeded. But there are so many immigrants who don't succeed because their resume is um, uh, getting rejected, their international experience are not counted, they are not even called for the interviews, um, assumed that their experience is not relevant or the English is not good. Uh, and uh, every I faced, I saw a lot of stereotypes working myself with a lot of managers. And uh, when I started speaking up, I got so many messages from a lot of immigrants asking me to be a voice for them. And for me, first, I am telling how I was brave uh, speaking up and speaking up so openly. As and they told me that they will never be afraid; they will be afraid to do so. They were afraid to lose the job. They will not feel comfortable. And I saw that those conversations are important and needed. And another, you know, like working in HR and go, going to different HR groups and conferences, I've realized those conversations do not happen. And a lot of organizations do not happen. And a lot of conferences do not happen. And it doesn't happen also from an immigrant perspective. And I think, you know, in any organizations, when you think it's in for all the culture and for practices, it's not only important for people what you speak, but what you don't speak, what consultants you bring and what consultants you don't bring, what employees you hire and employees you don't hire. And if you have international employees and then suddenly you never have a consultant who's an immigrant, or you don't have like a somebody in leadership roles or somebody talking an immigrant about immigrant experiences from an immigrant perspective, then uh, those employees feel that we are not the same, that their issues do not matter. And yet we perceive a lot of, um, there are a lot of stereotypes, there are a lot of work needs to be done in organizations. And you're actually going to be offering a unique in inclusivity training. Uh, can you share a little bit about that? Sure. So um, I think the way I envision trainings and the way I've done like recently in a few organizations is really taking more like uh, em employees through a transformational journey and more like really experiencing what it's like to be an immigrant and what it feels like. And when people understand what it feels like, when they start seeing the world in a little in different perspective, and then they see the value of people from different walks of life can bring, and then they don't see uh, that they change how they see it recruiting, and they are not looking necessarily for a perfect candidate, but the candidate who can bring a different perspective to the team. And then they start questioning themselves if it's about the candidate that is not a good fit, about the ability to work with people different from them. So my goal is really to tell really personal stories and uh, people can get their own conclusions <laughs> based on those stories. Uh, and uh, recently when I've done, I was surprised getting feedback from people from so many diverse backgrounds, how it was important for them. 
and how much we related to my story, even we were not immigrants. Uh, and immigrants, you know, it was, we found it was very empowering for them. But other people told me that uh, we faced different type of stereotypes, but we still faced it. And they told me, please continue speaking. Or we said, uh, I, yeah, you never had a disability, but it felt because your language was like a you know, disability for you. Or I feel very imperfect myself or afraid to speak uh, publicly. And then seeing you uh, when you're still uncomfortable and it's hard, but you still do it, it was inspiring. So suddenly I've realized that those conversations, even if I'm not trying to give any almost conclusions, I provide suggestions, but I almost allow people to make their own conclusions. Uh, everybody thinks about it, it reflects on it and, and, and actually they, they decide uh, that it's worth, we uh, somehow like realize the value of it just because we understand where I'm coming from or what other immigrants are coming from. I mean, even hearing, you know, back from your experience in Lithuania with your research project, you know, to moving to the United States and um, establishing yourself in the workforce, there is this like common theme of like perseverance. And I think that that's just something that no matter, you know, the struggle that somebody is going through, they are going to be able to relate to that. And hearing you talk, it's, it gives a very like, uh, encourage, it gives encouragement to want to conquer whatever it is that you're facing. Uh, because you constantly were looking for, okay, what do I need to learn next? How can I improve this skill? And so it's definitely something, um, that is very powerful. And I would love to ask, you know, what's the first piece of advice um, that you'd have for people who are moving to the U.S. and they're looking for a job? Um, or, you know, what would you do differently if, you know, you were looking for a job now, kind of looking back with all of this experience that you've gained? Uh, sure. So, um, and yes, like, you know, maybe adding up to the previous question, I think, yes, um, immigrant experience, again, so it's a human experience and that's where people can connect, you know, because they had experience about re resilience, going through the change, going through the trauma, uh, going, you know, through stereotypes. And so uh, people can relate from different levels of organizations. So, yeah, actually, it helps um, people all across the board having those conversations. And yes, what I will do differently, I've done a lot of things well. I've, you know, really trying understanding that in order for you to compete, you have to be more knowledgeable. You have to, to advance. Um, you also uh, have stopping attention what other people think and starting to change your own mindset and understanding that being humble in the United States doesn't help you. <laughs> you have to sell yourself. So there are a lot of things I've done correctly. However, like there are things I've done wrong. <laughs> And the first thing I would do differently now is like really asking for help because I always was very self-reliant and I always try to do everything on my own. And yes, it's good, but it's also not good because you can do so much more and faster if you get help. Uh, for example, now the students whom I help, it doesn't take for them three years to find a job. And even now, like with my own consultancy, I can see the difference if you get help. Uh, 
so I will uh, tell people get basically every person can help you but you need to ask and you need to find the person who will teach you like almost like a swimming coach who will teach you how to interview how to prepare for a resume how to network other person maybe will help you with very specific needs maybe they will connect you to the right people or provide the correct advice somebody will connect you to the your future employer <laughs> somebody will help you with job interviews so asking for help and asking for help almost every single person because somebody might help with your English. Somebody will help you, um, you know, advise. Somebody encourage and basically will be almost your confidence coach. <laughs> so there are different people can help in different skills, but getting that help and expanding your network makes a big difference. Especially when you're new in, in in a country and you don't know anybody. For sure. I think it's really cool how, you know, you had this, you know, realization of the importance of getting help and you've now, you know, created a whole mentorship program um, around that and now offer that service to other people. Um, that way, you know, they can find those jobs um, sooner. So I think that's um, really cool. Uh, on this podcast, uh, we talk a lot about, you know, human trafficking and related topics. Uh, some of our listeners, you know, you might be out there wondering, you know, how this interview relates to the topics that we typically discuss. And so I wanted to take a moment and really highlight uh, one of the many reasons why Solvega's work is so important. I mean, even just from, you know, listening to everything we've talked about, a lot of it is very transparent. Um but migrants face a lot of risks and challenges uh, that can make them more vulnerable to human trafficking. Uh, once immigrants cross into the U.S., they may lack legal status, uh, protections, or be living in a country with a temporary work visa. Uh, they might not speak the local language, uh, and they could be desperate to find work, to find food, to find a safe place to live. You know, everybody comes with a completely different experience. Um, and different set of challenges. And they might be isolated uh, for most of their friends and families and lack a lot of basic resources. And these vulnerabilities, they make them prime targets for traffickers. Many perpetrators take advantage of immigrants who are especially of the same ethnic background. So that way they have that like understanding where they come from and they speak the same native language. So Solvega, by helping people solidify that job, you're helping people create that independence for themselves and reducing ways that, you know, potential traffickers uh, might try to take advantage of other people. And so, you know, hearing your story, that was one of the first things that I thought of. And I find that that's so important is really targeting um, some of those aspects that can you know, leave people vulnerable is like not having that job. Uh, to be able to provide for themselves and create that, you know, independence. This is a really important point to highlight here, Isabel, and I'm really happy that you did, because when we do think about human trafficking and the potential victims, we've been preaching on this podcast that anybody could be impacted, but we don't always think about the ways in which us or our friends or our family can be considered vulnerable. Vulnerabilities stem from so much more than being young and impressionable or having a smaller physical build. So Vega, is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with before we wrap up? 
Yeah, I think you know you mentioned a very important topic about vulnerability, and I see that um, in a lot of fields, and especially in human resources, uh, many people are afraid to be vulnerable. They want somebody else to be vulnerable, but they are afraid to do that themselves. And in some ways, I'm thankful for my education at in Lithuania because. In psychology, we are actually we are forced. We had to take a lot of clinical psychology classes, and we had to be um, sharing very private experiences in front of a group because we are told that if we, you are afraid to be vulnerable, you cannot help others. And to help others, you you have to be able to to show yourself uh, and. However, in the United States, uh, a lot of in HR groups, uh, people are afraid to share in personal stories and uh, share about uh, their own traumas, about their mental issues, their like, you know, maybe problems we have. Uh, and uh, it almost closes those conversations because we uh, create this stigma about what we can talk and what we cannot talk in organizations. But I think it's really important in any organizations to be able to talk about vulnerable issues because it makes us more human and everybody else can relate because um, and it opens the conversations of everybody else. So yeah, I, I think it's what you touch is, is really important. So Vega, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your experience and your work. We really do applaud everything that you do because it's so important. I feel like I just learned a lot of great advice that I will take forward with me. Yes, I agree. Um, I hope everybody listening, you know, takes some encouragement uh, from this episode on uh, persevering through whatever challenges um, that you're going through. And understanding that like vulnerability is okay and recognizing that uh, can help you connect with other people and can really, you know, help you overcome, um, figure out how to overcome um, any challenges that you face. Um, so everybody, thank you so much for tuning into our episode today. Uh, please share this episode with your friends, your family, uh, follow us on all of our social media links that we're going to link in the episode description, subscribe to our podcast. And I also want to include Solvega's LinkedIn page so people can learn more about her work um, and connect with her that way. Uh, be sure to tune into our episode in two weeks, and we're actually going to be talking more about labor trafficking. Now, before we go, I just want to say that January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. So during the whole month of January, we are going to be doing a lot more posting on our social media pages. Uh, video reels, um, and more podcast episodes. We're doing an additional episode this month. So be sure to stay tuned on our social media pages uh, to be caught up on all that content um, that we're going to be putting out. Yes, those links can be found in the episode description. And we hope you guys really like what we do put out. And if you have any suggestions, please send them our way. We are going to be posting informative graphics, reels videos like isabel said so please follow and share with your friends and family and we'll see you back here in two weeks mm -hmm.